primarily with the objective of helping businesses understand the impact of privacy at a global level, but also at a regional local level on a business's marketing, media and measurement investment. And that's a $18 billion industry to focus on in Australia alone. Hi there, and welcome to Data Conversations. I'm your host, Danny Tyrrell, joined by my co-host, Michael Bridgman. In this podcast, we dive into how businesses harness data in safe and responsible ways to drive innovation and create value throughout our society. We are super passionate about collaboration and believe that growth or improvement comes from working together, being able to benefit from each other's experience and expertise. Each episode, we feature interesting individuals from diverse backgrounds, inviting them to share their unique stories for us to learn from. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Chris Brinkworth. Chris is an executive and international thought leader at the intersection of privacy and global MarTech ad tech trends. His 20 plus years of digital experience spans building foundational teams in the New York City SaaS MarTech ad tech community, as well as Australian listed agency environments. He's currently the managing director of Civic Data one of Australia's leading data privacy, identity, and governance advisory firms focused on the ad tech and martech ecosystem. Chris is a father to a daughter and is committed to ensuring that the next generation has access to safe and secure digital experiences and that Australian businesses have the ability to compete fairly and on a level playing field to change the digital economy. Chris, thanks for coming on today. So was that from, was that from Visit Victoria? Is that where you got that one from? I think it must be a range of different things. I've taken some things from Visit Victoria, I think a couple from your civic data website. So you've got a quite an eclectic experience, mate. It's hard to synthesize it into a couple of sentences. Well, it's when, when, when you, so it's when you have, you've got different audiences at different events, you tend to kind of change them around a little bit as well to make them, make them more relevant. That's it. That's it. And I think when you're done uh, so many things along the way, I'm sure you've, you've found it hard throughout your career, actually defining who you are and what you do, particularly with so many tra- uh, changing trends throughout the, the ad tech ecosystem in particular. Absolutely. Well, thanks ever so much for having me. Um, what I what I missed was in one of your previous videos that I was watching, you said, you're one of the guys I've really wanted to get on here. So I I, I, I didn't get that one. So I just, I don't know what happened there. But I've literally, that was, that was my opening line, Chris. We're so happy <laughs> so to I'm have you. I'm your, I'm your invite, Michael. Oh, that's it. That's it. No, it, it equally is uh, equally on our invite list. We are super excited to have you on the uh, on the pod. Um, hey, where I thought we might start off for this episode was, you know, Danny and I were reflecting. We we did get a couple of um, weeks break over over the Christmas period, and we we're excited to sort of hang up the boots and really relax and spend time with the family. But it seemed like uh you were doing the complete opposite you were popping up all over my news feed on linkedin i was seeing you on the news um maybe let's start there i think it was related to a little TikTok pixel that um your team had done some sort of investigative work on um and you were really trying to highlight some of probably the impending issues that um some of your clients being large australian enterprise might be facing with such kind of products but yeah they take us through that period of your life through the christmas period well related to the tiktok we don't need to go into all the other background stuff but related to the tiktok pixel so i think that the best way to start would be to ensure that i'm clear on what we do as a business because that sprung out of that specifically so civic data was set up primarily with the objective of helping businesses understand the impact of privacy at a global level, but also at a regional local level on a business's marketing, media and measurement investment. And that's a $18 billion industry to focus on in Australia alone, as you can imagine. So every single piece of technology that is part of a marketer's staff, whether it's an analytics tool, whether it's personalization, whether it's CRM, it's based on pixels. It's based on tags. It's based on cookies. They are third-party and first-party tools which will collect data and send them somewhere within the business or without the business as well. So primarily, um, when when we and we'll talk about a little bit more about that later on. Uh, but when when we looked at 
a bunch of our clients over the past couple of years. And we then looked at the tools they're using to see if they're compliant or not, if they're collecting data, which is not in line with their data disclosure, not in line with their privacy policy. Are they sending um, personal information as it's defined now in the clear to these third-party vendors? Are they sending personal information as it will be defined based on the proposed report, which we'll talk about later on, um, in the clear to third-party vendors? Or are they sending it in a hash methodology, which could easily also be recognized um, and broken down or, or re-identified? So if you were to look at the tools that we we look into and that's big tech so meta TikTok, google um and how different different data sets can be sent to each of those one thing that we've noticed um is that as cookie deprecation starts to take hold uh, and we're talking what's already happened within safari we've already what's already happened within brave what's already happened within firefox but what's now starting to happen within Chrome, um, that deprecation is a direct result of privacy uh, over the past four, four or so years in regards to GDPR, the, the different patchwork of, of state laws in the US and so on. Um, so with cookies disappearing, we've noticed an, a kind of increase in these, these wider scoped data collection tools that a lot of people don't understand how they technically work. And, and there's a very big gap actually between the understanding of privacy professionals uh, and marketing leaders. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a very large gap between the understanding of marketing leaders and technical experts in regards to how these tools work. So one, one of the examples would be a lot of people don't realize that when you, when you talk about tags and pixels and cookies, they're all very different technologies but they all work together in different ways uh but if you were to look at the term pixel um a pixel will be able to collect certain information from a page that users and consumers and even privacy professionals may not be aware of and even if cookies are blocked like my cookies no one can track me um then it's still very much tracking you uh, and even the basic pixel, as as you you'd know it or understand it, will be able to read a bunch of metadata that includes the URL structure of a page, Thank as you. an example. Yep. So, for example, it could be um, uh, really really cost effective pharmacy website .com .au forward slash medication forward slash itchy rash forward slash something you don't want other people to know that you're looking about forward slash you certainly don't want anyone to put a cookie on you and follow you around the internet based on this yeah, forward okay. slash you certainly don't want them to attach an email address to this knowledge yeah. so 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 that url structure and interesting just a, a bit of a, a digression um did a post about this a couple of weeks ago um the i've noticed meta now um, I'll give it, and you may have seen this yourselves, people who are watching, um, are starting to store the link history of users that visit links within their native browsers. So as an example, if you sent me a link on Messenger, or if you sent me a link on Facebook Messenger, or if you sent me a link on Instagram, or if I clicked on a link okay. in, a, in a Facebook post, um, it will actually show you this beautiful overlay, uh, and it says... We'd love to save your links for you so you can visit them anytime you want to in the future. Yeah. Um, and even that in itself is interesting from a dark patterns perspective because we all know why they're doing it is because of what I've just explained, what you can garner from that, that the context, yeah. what people are interested in. Um, and it also helps with all sorts of um, machine learning, algorithmic buying and stuff. So so what, what fascinates me about that kind of approach is they are giving you uh, an auto on option. So it says link history, which you'd like to keep it turned on. Yeah. Um, and you've got to turn it off. And then in regards to this, I want to make a post about it, in regards to the, the kind of iconography on it, um, mm. they say we do this so we can serve you better targeted ads. Now, to me, 
the iconography should have been a really um, very bright neon yellow exclamation mark saying, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to keep it turned on? But instead, they've got this this lovely red love heart instead. Yeah. So people don't, they don't have the, they're not educated about what this means. Um, yeah. So so coming back to that, so if you, you think about all of these tags and these pixels that over the years, people have built up, I mean, in our audits, the biggest we found so far is I think 17 separate tag management solutions where where the client only knew of one. And, and each tag management solution allows you to deploy multiple pixels. And that's just a product of, and that's a product of teams changing with inside of an organization, a particular, Correct. you know, whatever it is, a, a website manager comes in, they deploy a solution they're comfortable with, they move on. And to your point, I think right at the top, a lot of these um, products, uh, tags, pixels, whatever they might be, are, are, are relatively hidden inside kind of the code base of a website. So, you know, the, the new team coming in, it might have been a big structural change, but like, yeah, I guess you would see just day in and day out, but that that would be a path to this stuff just being forgotten about completely, right? The, the analogy I've used a lot in the past is, is um, comes from geology. I, I mean, I was bit boring as a kid i did geology at school yep. so um uh speaking of a pun there but it's not worth trying it so but but if you consider the triassic the jurassic the the cretaceous all these different periods uh throughout 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 the the central or the millennia um it's the same with marketing technology over the past 20 years that i've been doing this mm-hmm. um there have been new technologies developed faster and faster every single year and each new agency, each new marketing leader, each new project manager tries out this new tech. And quite often it's just left there. And you think of it like these these layers um, that also could become like a dangerous sinkhole under your house. Yeah. That yeah. if not managed properly, it creates this risk. So, so, uh, so there's this part, which is those tools that are forgotten about, or we call those zombie tags. And I've got a great article that I'm very happy to share about that. Um, so that's the zombie tag issue, which in themselves become a cyber issue where let's say um, I started a business called really called personalizationtech.com.au and a couple of my mates in Australia tried it, left it on the website. Uh, if that domain expired because the business expired, the same people who go out and they acquire lookalike domains and lookalike email addresses for phishing can also yeah. acquire that particular domain and retrofit it and repoint it and start to harvest that information where data is still being passed to it. And if you think about the tools that are out there, such as built with and others that yeah. would allow companies to go out and see which other targets that they want to use that, that connect are using these type of technologies. It, it, it's, it's a whole, whole, whole new world to think about. So there's multiple yeah. risks with these, these old tags. So. Coming back to today's problem, though, is that there's this this incredible challenge that marketing leaders and sales leaders are faced with at the moment, which is if cookies are disappearing, how do we continue our business as usual? How do we continue to to target, to track, to measure, to personalize, even though even though we cannot do it as we used to do it? My CEO, I'm pretending to be a client now, but my CEO will will still be asking me how are we going to hit these targets? We've right. still got the same budget. Um, and what happened to the reports I used to get? Why is the conversion? Why is the conversion rate down? So marketers are faced with this really, really big challenge of how do I still do business as usual with over 30% deprecation in cookies as it is to date? Mm-hmm. Um so they're now looking for new ways, new technologies. And as we've seen over the past year and a half, two years, new technologies for contextual targeting, for cookie yeah. lists, for new identities, all of these new tools are coming out and marketers have to try them. And unfortunately, they're coming out so fast, a lot of people don't understand exactly what they're doing, how they work. And there's no real governance or safeguards in place to, to check, to make sure but it's doing as promised. Yeah. And, and the challenges, um, you guys would be aware with a lot of these tags also, is they're like microcomputers. 
So a tag, if you think about it, it's like a, it's this JavaScript little mini computer that, yeah. that could adapt and change at any time on, on the page and how it works. So it can, it can, it can form change, shift change. And this is coming back to what we found in regards to TikTok specifically. Um, we sent out a client advisory to, to our clients, our paid clients. And, um, that email was, was very clear on our view that if your terms and conditions at the moment do not match up, um, with how you're using this tool, or if you can't be certain about it, our advice would be to remove this particular feature. And the feature that, that we um, dived into specifically is a feature that was also um, very much part of other tools mm -hmm. in big tech. Um, but what we noticed were there were specific brands that, whether it was them or their agency, and this is the hard part, there's a button within the interface within um, TikTok's advertising platform, which is called Advanced Auto Match. And what that does, and it's 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 really lovely. It's highlighted with a big green tick, and, and it, it says recommended feature. And if I'm if I'm a new new cool TikTok agency that that understands kind of branding and, and other things, but I've noticed that whenever I tick this box, I always get high conversions for my client. Yeah. But I don't understand that that's actually now triggered on the client's website, this mini computer yeah. to, to shift and change what's being clicked on the website. And what it's now doing is it's actually taking a copy of personal information, such as a phone number or an email address being entered into a form. And it's sending a hashed version of that. And I'll talk about hash in a second. Well, you guys can probably talk about it better than me, to be honest. But it's sending a hash version of that information and it's sending it off to the vendor. Maybe. So in this case, it was TikTok. Yep. And what we were seeing, though, was that was happening regardless of what has been put forward by the client, the advertiser, yep. as a hard stop of what they want to do. So, so, let me dive into that a little bit more. Those times when you go to sign up to a, a, a new website or a newsletter or something like that, and it says, please tick the box to agree to our terms and conditions. Uh, all of the, all of the thought and the, the process and the governance that went into that entire, entire kind of aspect where everyone's read through with terms and conditions, started disclosure, privacy policy. Um, and they said, well, if they don't tick the box, we can't collect a copy of that email address and we're not going to store it ourselves based on what we're, we're telling them. So the challenge, however, is while the brand will say, well, when you click submit, you'll say, no, you've not ticked the box. Yep. Um, they're not going to collect a copy of that at all. Mm -hmm. But when they click that box, a copy of that hashed email address is already left and gone to TikTok. And, and there's a really, really kind of big parity now between what the brand themselves know they've done versus what the vendor has now as well. So some of that challenge, Chris, is is also, and I don't think this is necessarily like a, a China issue. It's more, it's somewhere for a company that's held outside of Australia. So this is some of the challenges here is those companies may not be adhering to the data sovereignty requirements that we have in here in Australia in terms of how data is being processed. So it's not necessarily a, a TikTok or a China issue, as you've said here before. It's actually more around moving somewhere that's outside of the borders, outside of the company whose control it's meant to be, um, and really not adhering to what people are thinking, both the individuals and the company or the brand itself, their their actual posture, right? That That's correct. And, and um, most people who work with you would know that, I mean, a hashtag ID doesn't mean diddly squat. It's yeah. pretty easy with any hash table to kind of work out who that particular person is. Maybe. And yeah. um, the, the challenge comes later down the line. Not It's not just about now when um, if you're sending a, a some kind of, if you're collecting information about a consumer and you're in control of that and it's going off to a third party and you've told them um, exactly what you're going to do, how you're going to do it. Uh, you've got to do your best endeavors to let the client know what's happening. Um, yeah. The customer, as it were. So there's no explicit consent required, 
right now. Um, but surely if you are sending information off about your customer um, and you don't even know it yourself, yeah. how can you inform them about that? How can you be clear that's happened? And more importantly, as the law changes based on proposed changes, so those, that, those that have been approved versus those in discussion, um, the ability to allow a consumer to update that consent yep. in the future, how are you going to be able to navigate that challenge if you don't even know that that email address or phone number as an identifier has gone across to a third-party vendor? Because you yourself do not have a way to trace that back and then to update that consent as well. So so, so they're, they're the kind of challenges. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're touching on a couple of interesting points around the privacy regulation, which I think we should maybe explore a little bit deeper. But just before we do, I, I think it's worth noting that a lot of the time we talk about this conversation around uh, pixels and tags and tracking, it, it sounds very scary to just a general individual, someone who doesn't understand the space, particularly someone who doesn't understand the advertising space and the marketing space, thinks it's really this surveillance capitalism, people are trying to follow me and understand what I do for malicious reasons. But actually, there's really genuine reasons why the tracking is very important to different businesses. Um, and it's really around this efficiency, efficiency of spend, making sure that Dollars can be put in the the right areas to to get a return. I think we touched on it in one of the previous episodes around a small business has a very small budget for for advertising and marketing. We have a small business for like a small budget for for, for marketing and advertising in our own business. Um, and where we put it is really really critical to how well my business performs. So having the ability to find out where I'm getting the best performance does have a legitimate place in our ecosystem. And I think that's what the the advertising bodies, I know you're the co-chair of the data council, which we're also involved with at IB, helped to do some of that education. But I just think it's worth noting when we talk about this space, it sounds scary, but there's there's really a genuine reason we need to do this. And that's why it's even more important to understand what are the the valid ways to do it? What is the future of this world in terms of how we do it? I know you've been very involved in the, the first party uh, cookie kind of concept space. Um, maybe if you can start to just unpack that a little bit more around, there's actually some some valid reasons why we're doing it and how that can be done in line with what the privacy changes are. Absolutely. So I think um, the key the key word that everyone needs to have hammered home all the time is consent, and um, consent in in any other world, especially in a social setting. Right, we'd never ignore the term consent. It's extremely important to have consent. So why why we should ignore it in, in the world that we live in today when it comes to data um, is beyond me. So so at the moment in Australia, um, the implied consent is really the, the main way forward, as we all know. And it's, it's implied that to do business with someone collecting their personal information is is of relevance and you can use it within certain parameters um but the challenge that that, that we've noticed uh is unfortunately as again you're right cookies are required tags are required email addresses are required in this world to kind of stitch the entire ecosystem together um but if you've ever heard of someone saying, I need a first party data strategy as, as, as an example, uh, it used to be that cookies would be able to siphon up as much information about you as possible, follow you around the internet, profile you, um, tell you, tell, tell a company how many times you've been to a website, what you're looking at. And those third party cookies are, are disappearing. So it's very hard to find people around the internet again. Um, to follow them around with those banners that kind of creepily feel like they're following you around. Um, and that's what most most users would consider. Um, so as third-party cookies disappear and as third-party data, the ability to sell data as people focus more on dark brokers and so on disappear, uh, that knowledge of a consumer comes from third-party data collection. How can I collect as much information about my user as possible or my customer as possible um, 
so I can use it for the purposes of marketing, machine learning, AI, and everything else. Uh, so then comes in the question about consent. If you're collecting lots and lots of information, and you, the, the, the best analogy I could think about this is uh, a meme I saw a while back. Uh, it wasn't even a meme, it was some Instagram video. And it was uh, a woman who was filming her husband using a, 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 a leaf sucker. And it sucks, sucks up all the leaves on the, on, on the lawn. And she's laughing at him. And then it zooms out. He's got the zip at the back of the, the sack is open. So all of these leaves are basically being sucked up and then just coming out the back again. And that's the best way I can explain the analogy of first party data without consent. So if you're investing for small business, if you're investing thousands of dollars um, in a big business, millions of dollars yeah. in infrastructure, um, technology, and, and data warehousing, data lakes, whatever it is, to, to hoover up all of this first-party data, um, if you've not thought about the consent and the ability for a user to change that consent and to understand how to how to trace that that chain of custody of consent across different tools uh then you're kind of like the leaf sucker guy where you may not be able to use that down the line as well so what you feel is an asset um in regards to first party data now may not be an asset down the line i was gonna say that's pretty important chris we've spoken about this on other episodes i think this is a unique kind of perspective on it around the consent and managing that lineage and and the ability to have that correctly tagged in source systems or warehouse, wherever that goes. The other kind of side of that story that we kind of presented, I think on you know a recent episode was that because the cookie deprecation is kind of, you know, in the headlines, people are now really taking that hoovering approach and maybe they're going overboard with what they're trying to collect. It's not necessarily tied to business strategy or business value they're just trying to grab everything because there's this kind of scared you know mentality out there so when you put both of those together you're painting a, yeah. a fairly bleak picture that i'd imagine some of our listeners are going to be sitting there going sounds a lot like our organization right now but what it's also um it's understanding the difference between consent and preference and 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 um obviously my business makes money from auditing and understanding where data is going between all these different systems and quite often we come across companies who've been building a, a big preference management center for for a couple of years and when when we highlight to them that they built this preference center that allows them to to offer their consumers the ability to update their preferences of what, what mailing list they're on and all this other stuff. Um, it doesn't mean it's, it's solved that problem that we mentioned before okay. around all of these other elements of tags that are collecting data and sending them left, right and center. So if we go back to, let's actually, let's break down what data actually is. So first party data, people think I have an email address or it's a phone number, but um, we've built, we built one of the first composable CDPs in market, um, where we, we basically, um, use a tool that collects a lot of metadata that I mentioned earlier on. So metadata itself, if, if you look at the, the new terminology around, um, personal information, um, or proposed changes where there'll be an always updatable, non-exhaustible list of technical terms that can be considered as personal information. So that that is really easy for anyone that's experimented with ChatGPT or others. Just go in onto ChatGPT or Bard and say, please give me the longest list you can of technical terms in ad tech or martech that could be used to identify me. And it will scare the bejesus out of you if you're in charge of understanding what are technical terms when it comes to personal information because it is a cookie id it is ip address it is ways that if you piece two or three of these together it's very easy to understand who this user is from the battery level to the browser type um, and so on so if, if you consider that a pixel can collect all of this type of metadata about you um 
that could be used in a positive way as well if you've been upfront about it with the, with the customer. So, so if you've been very clear when a visitor comes to your website and you're, you're very honest and you say, these are the things that we collect about you. We need this in order to show you personalized messaging, personalized offers and so on. And we need this in order to make sure you get the best price in a compliant way and so on and so on. Um, so it's pretty much what Google does. If you think about a Google tag for Google Analytics, it collects all this information, pushes it into a repository, runs some analytics across, it gives you some nice charts. Uh, but instead, with the composable CDP, what, what we've done for a client is we've said, well, why don't you own all of that data collection? Why don't you store it? Uh, but be very clear and upfront with your consumer about what you're doing. And then you can use that for the purposes in the future that you've given them um, very clear advice about. You haven't yet said you want to use it for machine learning. So what you need to do in the future is ensure that you can go back to them and say, where else are now going to use this for machine learning and AI? Is that all right? And so on. So um, then that particular data being collected can be attached to an email address or a phone number and so on. Um, uh, but it doesn't have to be attached to an email address or a phone number. And yeah. if, of course, using using you guys, they wanted to kind of go and co-mingle that data, share that data in a certain way, in a compliant way, then they can feel confident, this particular client, um, that they've got their terms and conditions all, all ship-shaped and done. And they can trace that consent back to the notice that was shown as well. Yeah. Um, and then it's about going to the other partner and saying, can you do the same thing? Yes, yeah. it's the main thing there. Um, so just one point I've noticed uh, that a lot of people don't realize is worth is just to go to Facebook and look at look within Facebook. Um, it will show you which advertisers at the moment are using your email address or your phone number to show you adverts. And Facebook will tell you which company has uploaded your email address or your phone number into Facebook or Meta to to stitch that together and show you ads. Yeah, and yeah. Facebook themselves ask you, have you got permission to do this? Uh, and yeah. I think that's step number one for a lot of businesses to suddenly realize, oh, maybe I should go see if we do have permission to do that. <laughs> um, because consumers are giving more rights and more power to kind of come back to large companies and small businesses. Actually, small businesses, as we know, is going to be most likely, yeah. um, less, less, most likely the central will be removed. Um, Gosh, am I digressing too much or was that, was that? What no, it, no, yeah. I, I think it's, you're touching on some really good points there, Chris. And I think the consent space in general is an important one to touch on. Cause as you said, there is this, uh, this need to do it, but it's not a, it's not a single faceted problem. Consent consent has this technical part of it in terms of how do you actually implement consent? How do you collect it? All of these different things. It has this, uh, experience layer, which you've touched on, which is how do I actually ask my uh, individual customers for consent and it has this whole framework kind of layer in terms of what needs to fit into both of those to make sure it's adhered by what the regulatory guidance is and the reality is it's not a simple this is what you need to do and I think organizations need to do more to be transparent I think that point you made and as you said the guys like Facebook who always get painted as the the bad guys everywhere they become more and more transparent and they give you more and more information and people continue to just click yes. So I think it's also worth acknowledging that it's not always about consent as well. You absolutely need to have it. You need to present it in the right way. But that is the reason why regulatory bodies um, need to also put different rules in place, need to make sure that their general governance frameworks or law like the Privacy Act here in Australia, which is going through that update, does protect individuals from this because it's a very complicated space. We all understand this because we do it day in, day out. But the average consumer who's just logging onto Facebook and want to go buy a pair of shoes, they may have no knowledge about this space. So we can't expect them to know exactly what's going to happen. So it's a bit of this seesaw that you need to juggle with what businesses and organization and brands need to do to get the right consent, to have the transparency, but also make sure that regulators and governments are are up to scratch as well and they help to protect the individuals on the other end yeah yeah i agree i think um one of the things that you just made me made me remember there was i've often often wanted and i've never found it um a, a methodology where 
this is coming from coming right from the deeper the deep deep deeper the brain this one um but when i was in my in my very 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 late teens um i was doing work experience at a direct mail business and we're talking direct mail this is before email yeah. really and these are where you would send an e- a, a letter out to someone or or you, you know a beautiful picture of a palm tree and you'd make sure you sent it when it's going to be raining so people will go i want to buy that um holiday and those those mailing lists um i remember specifically and it's the same with emails but you're because you were renting the list as it were um you could only use it for the contractual terms that were given uh, a certain number of times um with a certain type of messaging and the mailing companies that own those those email the email and the and the, the postal address would have seeded um, addresses. So if there was an email received to that address um, that was not permitted, or if there was a, a door drop that was received in an apartment that was not permitted, um, then they'd come after you and say you broke your contract. You owe us this. And, and I've often wondered, is there a way to do that in regards to the data economy as well, right? So, so how is there a way to almost seed in, how does this provide the ability to create a seeded cookie or something like that, that says, if, mm-hmm. if this machine here starts seeing these ads from this particular business, then something has gone wrong. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's what I mean by this kind of traceability or the chain of custody of consent. How do you really? How do you really ensure that at all times you can prove that you were given permission to do that, so you as a business don't get in trouble down the line? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was. I've not thought about that one for a while, but I've always wanted to find a way to solve that problem because that's a, a really interesting when it comes to data. It's one of the the use cases that actually this whole like decentralized ledger style systems become very interesting, right? Like I can absolutely see a world where you use some of these approaches that you have with blockchain technologies to be able to have some kind of common framework of consents where they're being followed through. There's some kind of use which is integrated in. Obviously, the yeah. challenge in that space is what is the framework? Like, what is everyone going to sign up to? I know we've done some work previously in the past with guys like Visa who have a consent specification that they've been building out. There's a couple over in in Europe, some open data specs as well around what to follow. So. There's definitely a path here for how do you standardize, but standardizing across organizations is hard, across industries is probably a little bit harder, across jurisdictions is maybe the the next level of complexity, but um, the value is absolutely there. And I think once these solutions like the consent and the privacy enhancing technology continue to evolve, as well as this decentralized Web3 style thinking i'm sure we'll see some kind of convergence at a point in time where some of these solutions will come out yeah that's danny i think you're spot on and, and chris kind of touched on it initially as well one thing i wanted to to get to was um kind of on the solution or technical side chris you painted a bit of a picture of i guess the new world once the cookies go away is less reliance on a single kind of cookie if it were and more about building um, kind of a whole ecosystem of different capabilities and different vendors that you're going to need to stitch together. And actually, a lot of that is the the capability that businesses don't have or are very quickly trying to get up to speed with. Um, one of the things I love about the work you do is you've always been a proponent of the ecosystem, especially here in Australia, of new vendors. And I would regard you as probably one of the best, if not the best, connectors of individuals and businesses definitely across the Australian um, ecosystem of Antec, MarTech. So um, it'd be great just to kind of hear your perception. There's obviously been some big headlines uh, over the last couple of weeks with M&A activity, you know, with some of the big data clean room providers and, you know, the, the feel and the vibe is if you listen to the market texture guys and others in this space that maybe 2024 is the year that this stuff kind of ramps up. But really just kind of narrowing in and focusing on kind of the Australian ecosystem. Yeah. How are you kind of seeing the local players emerge? Um, what's great here? What's still kind of leading overseas? Just any perspective that you might be able to share with the audience. You know what? Um, funny enough, I actually was talking about this exact same thing yesterday with an Aussie tech company um, that 
um, we last we last spoke when we were both in New York. So Dean was an operative um, in the U.S. in New York. I was I was I was in I was at Tagman in the U.S. as well. But he's here. He's out of Melbourne. I actually was talking about hooking you guys up, Michael, yesterday. Funny enough, okay. um, um, because you're right. Like for for me, um, I do have. I've seen I've seen how very large budgets from very large businesses. Um, can obviously make it challenging for small businesses and local tech to to kind of get ahead. Yet what I found is generally it's it's a bit like um, the the analogy of if you're if you're about to start a business and that business is in um, let's say um, accounting software and. If you went out and you just launched an accounting system and you went out to try and sell that accounting system, you are in trouble if you're trying to sell against zero, my odd, and everyone else. Um, but if you are someone that's worked in the accounting software industry and you've realized that the veterinary surgeons that focus only on Burmese cats are poorly represented in the accounting software industry, then creating a solution just for veterinary surgeons that focus on Burmese cats would be the best way to start the business and solve that unique problem. Yeah. So, so, um, unfortunately the, 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 the laws in the U S um, and in Europe, um, are actually going to be distinctly different to what we have here based on what's coming down the line as an example for privacy and some of the discussions that are still happening here in regards to um, consent, data broking, and a whole whole bunch of others outside of the outside of the privacy reform. So, from an ACCC perspective, right. um, that you're probably aware of, uh, e even those still those conversations are still kind of really hot, and where big businesses over in the US are looking to solve certain things around data sharing. And let's yeah. say um, OPJA was the open open protocol for joint activation and other such. Um, they may actually not sit here. Yeah. And and when people are starting to jump into big tech because of beautiful, beautiful clean brochures and mm -hmm. wonderful kind of participation with standardization, um, uh, uh kind of processes and work over in different countries it may not fit like a glove here and um it could well become a very um could become a very large sunk cost for people investing in technology without really thinking about it so so my 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 kind of bent for for good aussie tech comes from the fact that i've seen how localized offerings that are specialized that solve unique problems understand unique local um dynamics are eventually better than the larger tech as well so um i've made no 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 kind of i've not ever hid that one of the tools that we work with and we love is adfixus as an example yeah um so i talk about adfixus a lot because it's a homegrown australian business that have solved a very unique problem when it comes to the durable identity um, in um, the cookie-based environment, where third-party cookies are disappearing, um, and it does it in a very compliant and clever way. And that then underpins a whole bunch of other things um, around data sharing and, and other stuff as well. Um, I'm obviously off, often talking about you guys as well. Um, Dean from Dean from Fuso. Forgive me, Dean, if you're watching. I've just massacred how you say the name, Flusso, Flusso. I'm so sorry. Um, but but what they've been creating around the traceability of of data and where it goes within a contract and without yeah. a contract is, is a really important element as well. Yeah. And finding yeah. ways for for these technologies to kind of all play together is kind of why I've got the passion on it because yeah, it's just easier and candidly I, I hate waiting for New York to wake up as well. Yeah. So and and if there's a problem, 
um, if a business yet hasn't put someone on the ground in Australia exactly. um, or, or in Singapore, then it's very hard to kind of deal with that as well. So that's yeah. one of the reasons I like the Australian. Look, I've done enough of my time overseas um, that, I, that I've, I've seen that underneath the veneer of a big business, yeah. Um, yeah, something's not always 100%. And salespeople are very good and and it's very easy to hire a very good salesperson but they're very good at a sales level but not at a technical level and quite often they will oversell as well which can be a problem and we all know that in australia if you do that it's too small a market and and you're not gonna you're not gonna last long if you're if you're lying about what you've got and you're not going to retain your clients very long and yeah word will get around so I hope that's good enough over there. Yeah, I've just got this thing that I like Australian I like Australian success stories. Uh, we we do love that about you, Chris. And you're right. It's very easy for large tech brands to be able to flaunt the trip to Vegas or I know that there's a number of people inside these organizations even called themselves, they say internally, they're pretty much a marketing and events company more than a technology company, some of these some of these guys. But it is good to see that there's some really amazing Aussie solutions that are coming out here, particularly in this data and privacy space. And as you said, the being able to be really close to what's changing in a privacy landscape is is really super important. Um, being able to adapt really fast, and even sometimes we find the power of being able to roll in your CTO, your your chief data scientist, your engineers, and be like, "These are the guys who built this platform. They're they're here in this room. They're here in Australia." It's a very powerful message to be able to have. So uh, we love the work that you're doing with the Aussie ecosystem, and. Um, we, we think that there's there's more of it that should be for come because we want that innovation to to grow out of Australia. We want the ability to keep growing the next Atlassians or Canvas and show that we can actually compete on the global scale. Yeah, sorry, I just I, but I do think um, let's let's play devil's advocate. Uh, if there's an M and A activity where where you guys were snapped up by a big American company, um, it's still it's still technology that has value that I would understand and. The same is true of, and maybe I didn't, so as part of that that blurb you gave at the very start, um, my my role when I was, so I opened up the US office for a business called Tagman, uh, that was the first tag management system. And that allowed me to meet so many super smart people in the US who, who set up very, very large NASDAQ businesses now, or have sold their business to Adobe, sold their business to Google, sold their business to Yahoo. And... Mm-hmm. I still keep ridiculously good relationships with those people and I understand the tech they build and I trust them. Mm-hmm. So so there are still great technologies within those large businesses. Um, but the question is, if someone's selling it but they don't truly understand the tech itself behind it and they sell it in a way that it's not supposed to be used, that's where the problem comes, comes in as well. They don't really understand it. And that comes back to full circle about what I was saying about putting these, these tags and these pixels on websites, but not truly understanding how they work is, is part of that problem. Or if you're given this wonderful tool that says, just upload your entire CRM system into this um, safe environment here, and we'll be able to do X, Y, and Z with it, then if a business truly doesn't, doesn't understand how that works, that's a really big problem. So. I think there's that's part of maybe that's part of the other reason I like the Aussie tech is, is the education piece is there as well. It's very it's much easier to educate businesses about what you've got. We agree. Well, Chris, hey, this has been a, a pretty far ranging and kind of deeply technical conversation at time, which is awesome. But um, before we let you go, uh, Danny mentioned your opening. Uh, like us, you're a you're a proud father of a young child, um, and you know there's. A lot you're doing, I guess, to safeguard the future of of young um, people in Australia. But if we look ahead at the next kind of twelve to twenty four months, um, kind of, you know, what are you excited about? Where do you think you'll be spending a lot of your time with Civic and others? Um, and and also, yeah, just you know, how do you think this work is really going to be impactful over that next little period? But I think. Um... There is a vast amount of opportunity for businesses to start to show better results than they've been showing for the past two years by tidying a lot of this stuff up. And, um, you know, have I got time? I've got time. I'm going to show you. I'm going to choose my virtual background here. 
and I've got this. See if you recognize this. Look at that. Do you see that? Yeah. Do you, re- do, you, do you recognize that? Yeah. So, that there is my analogy for where everyone is in Australia right now in regards to the $18 billion um, uh, advertising media measurement market in, in Australia. So, what you've got there is Star Wars, um, the trash compactor scene where they, they thought they'd try and escape the stormtroopers, they take the side panel off of the um, off of the wall and they, they, they go in there and suddenly the wall start closing in on them. And this is my analogy that I, I, I think is really important to hammer home that, that kind of then delivers what I mean about the, the actual better results we're going to start to see. So I mentioned earlier on on the call that um, marketers are still in this world of business as usual. So they've still got to keep delivering everything. But what you've got on on one side here is everything that's changed over the past three to four years that we've been talking around in regards to cookie deprecation, app tracking transparency, IP address being cloaked with private relay, which is really impacting the ability to measure, to target, to activate, to personalize um, at a technical level. So privacy has had that impact already. And that wall is still, if we look at that thing, it's still kind of closing in. And then you've got on this side here, You've got what's happening and has been happening over the past two years in regards to the Privacy Act review in Australia specifically, and what businesses, large and small, will be allowed to do in the future. So, so the 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 the, the guy in the middle, I think it's Han Solo with his kind of rod trying to stop the walls from closing in. That's generally where marketing leaders and CEOs and everyone else are at at the moment in regards to I've got to make the technology investment I've made over the past couple of years work. Um, I've got to make my marketing and media budget work. But at the same time, if I buy this new tech, will I still be allowed to use it from a legal perspective? Okay. If I collect this data, will I still be allowed to use it without the consent? And that's putting a lot of pressure um, onto teams at the moment. But what we're seeing when we go into our clients and, and we kind of clean up their entire stack we've got some incredible results that have just come back for one particular client i was discussing yesterday with a large agency actually was that if you were to consider google analytics just everyone here would have watching here would have used google analytics or heard of google analytics or 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 know what it does um even if you were to set up google analytics as a first party cookie and first party being this is my website.com.au so it will be cookie.thisismywebsite.com.au. Third party being, this is another website that I don't have any control of. It might be called TikTok. It might be called Meta, whatever. So that's third party. So third party cookie blocking basically means they're not going to block a cookie, but they're not going to be allowed to profile you anymore. They won't be able to, to say, is this Michael's device coming to my website once today? And again on Thursday and again on Friday. So it's one user three times. Or is it three users one time? So profiling has been blocked, not cookies. So you can no longer profile how people work in a third-party environment. So there are ways where people have been trying to get around that in Safari specifically, um, where they're, they're, they're doing something called CNaming. And it's still, it looks like a first-party so it looks like a cookie being set by a first party. So if you set up Google Analytics as a first party, um, it will give you seven days of visibility. So maybe Michael's device or Danny's device came once today, and then they came back within a six-day period, then you can see that. But if they come back on the eighth day, that's now considered a new user Definitely. because Safari mitigates the ability to do that. So that causes all sorts of stress on your your business as usual as well. If your if your if your sales cycle is longer than seven days, then quite often you're double counting cookies yeah. and users. Uh, so so what we've just seen recently in in one particular aspect is um, we're giving back that visibility to clients um, because they've gone in and they've had a look at every single crazy tag, crazy pixel way it's loading, is it working anymore, is it not working anymore? And we set it up in a way that they've got a much better visibility in a compliant way into how users are coming to their website. 
and they're, they're amazed because the conversion rate has gone up. And I'm explaining that the conversion rate itself hasn't gone up, but the ability to measure it has. Because what you're doing is if you're reducing the number of users okay. to what it really is, yeah. then the conversion rate will obviously look higher. And that's what you're seeing by getting back this visibility from what you've lost. So, yeah. so the beauty in all of this is as people start to tidy this up for privacy purposes and, and understand that they need to do it anyway to get their house in order, they actually start to see better results. And customers also start to behave in a different way with you because we all, we all do it. If we go to a website and we're unsure what they're going to do with our data, if it feels a little bit off, am I ever going to see this product arrive? If you don't trust it, then obviously you're not going to buy anything as well. Yeah. So, so that's the other benefit of this is as you start to look at privacy in a really compliant kind of in a, in a, in a positive way, and you start to treat the consumer, not as people who you can just kind of pull one over their eyes, but as a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. then they'll trust you more. They'll recommend you more. So there are very real benefits, um, to doing this that, that, that we're seeing for clients, um, and the most important thing is that they have the peace of mind that they've done it before the rest of the world starts to try and catch up, which is we expect, I mean, we've seen incredible, incredible growth in the kind of three, three to four months leading up to, to Christmas. Everyone starts to realize shit cookies are disappearing. How do we solve for that? And privacy law is about to change. How do we solve for that? And just in the past couple of days since everyone got back from holiday, yeah, it's, it's getting very busy. So I expect that you'll start to see um, a lot of customers who want to get where they want to get, but won't, won't, won't be able to do it in time, to be honest. Yeah. And those companies who have done this in a, in, in a really smart, compliant way are where advertisers will spend their budgets, where publishers yeah. want to do deals with them because they're the only place to go as well. Yeah. Wow. Was that was that geeky enough? By the way, did you like that? No, it's it a, <laughs> the perfect level of geekiness on the reference, mate. And I think the the story and the message really to take home is you have to start now. Um, I think if you if you're waiting too long, you're going to be behind. Your brand's going to be behind. And I think probably the other key point here, Chris, is people don't have to do this alone. There are amazing organisations like yourself who are who are out there who are helping to educate, who are helping to walk people along this journey because it's a it's a complex space. There's no way of getting around it. So I think I mean, if people can make sure that they come and reach out, I think that's the best way to, to go about it. Yeah, look, I, I mean, everyone would know that if you if you if you if you connect with me, don't just follow me. I mean, my LinkedIn page basically says follow, but that's just to stop a bunch of other people. But if you make it around that and do the connect, I'm always going to reach out and, and say hello. But um me, I've got a white paper that I've nearly finished that I should send send to you to put a link in with this as well. Um Absolutely which is it's it's titled pixels privacy and precautions and the aim of the paper is very much a primer for non-technical people who are in the privacy team or in a data governance team to to get an understanding of these challenges um at a fundamental level that is not too techy not too geeky and and it starts to open up that conversation um internally We've also got a, a, which has been really successful for us, a 90 minute session where I go into a business, um, at no cost and I will give their head of Martech, the head of marketing, the head of legal, the head of privacy. And I also tell people to invite procurement, um, an overview of what's coming down the line in regards to privacy changes specifically and how that impacts their marketing media and measurement investments. Because if everyone on this call at the moment was to be very honest with themselves, if you were to pause video and try and name the head of your privacy or your legal team, um, you wouldn't be able to do it in, in, in 10, 15 seconds. I promise you, most people wouldn't have a clue. And, and that's a really big challenge. Um, if you're out there doing things with data and you don't even know the name of your legal uh, or your privacy lead. So I think that's part of what that session does as well. It gets everyone aligned internally to have this very cathartic conversation about what needs to be done. Love it, Chris. And what a fantastic way to end the episode. So we'll be sure to drop in both the white paper and also 
contact details for Chris if anyone wants to reach out and we would urge you to do that. Obviously a free 90 minute session. What a great way to kick off the new year to make sure you're up and ready to go for the uh, impending privacy changes amongst other things that are gonna be coming through this year. Um, so thanks a lot for listening to Data Conversations. If you liked what you've heard on today's episode, please click like and subscribe. Give us a vote as well. And if you've got any suggestions on future guests or comments on episodes, topics, themes that you'd like to cover, like us to cover, sorry, please send us a note at podcast at datacode.ai or hit us up on LinkedIn on the Datacode Technologies page. Thanks for listening.